0: I want you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. We were there last week. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. This is a very solemn verse of Scripture, but we'll use it as a text tonight as we did last week. Now the just shall live by faith. We're all familiar with that. We don't like the second part, but it's there as a part of the first part. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back unto perdition or ruin or destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Our title ongoing, we didn't get it finished last week, but it was, Lord help, I want to keep my faith. And it's obvious that. It's easy for people to stop believing because of the numerous scriptures that tell us that there is a real devil out there trying to keep you from believing, not going to church, not singing hymns, not giving and sharing and doing all the other outward things that people do. He just doesn't want you to believe. He doesn't want you to have faith in God, doesn't want your heart to be ruled by the Lord. Now, we started this little series, if you want to call it that, The first one was, Lord, help, I want to believe. If you've ever been impacted or affected in a message, I know you have, I'm sure you have, and you realize how important faith is in the Bible and how much emphasis God puts on that word faith and whether or not it's active or whether or not it's working in your life, if you've ever been confronted by the Lord and you've seen it, even for a moment like that, then something in you wants it. Because you know that if the only way you can please God is by faith, then all these other things that Christians are trying to do to impress God or please God doesn't work. We please each other and we pat each other on the back and at our gravesite we're told how great things that we did and we built and bought and all of that, but the only thing that really pleases God is faith. Not many people seem to get that, not many people do. A lot of people have heard that, not everybody got it. A lot of people have heard teaching on things without that ever becoming an integral motivation of their life, it's faith. And when you see it, there is something that says, Lord, help me to believe. Remember the disciples said to Jesus once, Lord, we want to believe too, help us to believe. Increase our faith. And Jesus emphasized it all the time. Why couldn't we cast out because of your faith? The lack of it. The Syrophoenician woman, we'll mention her again in a minute. Be it unto you as you have believed. Two blind men in Matthew nine. Be it unto you according to your faith. Throughout the Bible, it's faith. James 1, the brother of Jesus, he wrote that without faith, without the exercise of faith, you can't even believe that you'll receive anything from God. What a statement, anything. That makes you a little uneasy as it is designed to do if you're not doing it. That's what we call conviction. And it's supposed to stir you into action to begin to make things that are not right, to make them right. But it's the one-word faith. Lord, help me to believe, scripturally believe, not by some man's definition, but by the standard the Bible sets. help me to believe. And then secondly, Lord, I'm reading the Bible now that I'm a Christian, I'm finding out that in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. They're gonna fall away. They're gonna give up the faith. Or I read the word shipwrecked. We mentioned that last week. Shown how people's faith is shipwrecked by error by wrong teaching, by wrong information. That people are following people and whatever information people give, and the faith that God gives isn't based on what man thinks, it's based on what God thinks. So man's loftiest ideas never create faith, they never work. God never honors the faith that a man has defined, it is the faith that God gives only that he honors. And it's so easy in this hour that we're in to get distracted. They get caught off guard. We're so busy. We're so busy. We listen to so much. I tell you, this electronic age that we're in, I don't want to say too much about it because I know that people can be offended if you say too much about it. But we're so distracted. There's so many things that you can now do that you do all day long. People now get up in the morning and they turn the computer on or they turn that cell phone on, turn that thing on, and throughout the day, it's it's going off buzzing or something, and it's just all day long. You're looking at that thing just all day long. I told a good friend of mine, I said, you have a spirit of geek. (laughs) I told a friend of mine, I said, you're ruled by that thing. It absolutely dominates you and rules you. It compels you to pay attention to it all day long. I'm not saying that's why people aren't believing. I'm just saying that there's so much to listen to, so much to read, so many things to do that in some way there's an influence there that I think can be damaging. I really do. I don't know how to explain all of that yet, but as they say, time flies, we will know more about that. But I want to believe. I want to be believing at the end. I want at the end of my life to hear the Lord say what Paul said, I have run my race. Remember that in 2 Timothy 4, 7? I have run the race I have finished the course. I have kept my baptismal certificate in my office, hanging on the wall where everybody could see it. He said, I have run the race. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Must have been a big deal. that At the end of his life, the one thing that he emphasized and praised God for was the fact that he had been able in his life not to give up believing He had more problems than we all had. He was thrown in jail, rejected, hungering all the time, put out, spoken evil against. It was a tough life. You look at the journeys of Paul in the back of your Bible there, the distance that he traveled to go to all of these places, labored there, weariness. I can see where he would be weary. And he said at the end of his life, with all the dismal things that confronted him, the hard life that he chose to live, and God blessed him. He said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered. Would to God that we can all say that. That I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Last week, we said, if you want to keep your faith, there are three specific things. One, You've got to guard your heart. You've got to keep your heart. Your heart is your own personal hiding place. It's the place where secrets are. God knows the secrets of a man's heart in Psalm 44. Everybody has a place like this. This place is also where you hide the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart. It's yours personally. It is God's word to you. We all may have it, but you have it in particular because God has shown it to you. A lot of people are hearing the word, a lot of people are listening to the Bible, not everybody's getting it, but if you've got it in your heart, God put it there. What a treasure that is. And this word has to be guarded because there's so much out there in life, so many things you're hearing all day long, you're watching, so many things you're talking about in your discussions, there's so many ways that this word can be snared, it can slip. You can have something that was meant to be applied and not apply it, you just let things go. And it's such a treasure, you wanna guard your heart, you wanna make sure you keep this word throughout your life. The word you hide in your heart is the only thing you give the Holy Spirit to make you an overcomer. If you don't have a word in your heart to quote, to use a word to stand on. If you haven't hidden anything in your heart, what will God use? What will he enlighten you with in a time of difficulty as a weapon to use against the devil? If you have put nothing there, you've got nothing to use. The word is a sword, isn't it? If the sword was only a thought in your mind as a church service and you've already forgotten it, then it absolutely does you no good in a time of war. This word has to be hidden in your heart. May we emphasize the word of God forever. It's something you meditate on. It's something you read. It's something you think about. It's something you talk about. It's something you listen to, like the fingers on your hand. Now, all these things go together. Not everybody gets to hear this. Everybody can hear words, but some people have a cloud over their minds. They don't get it. I'm thinking of one now. I've known for years. They don't get it. They still don't get it. You can tell in 10 minutes of talking, they don't get it. It's not there. You think, how can this be? Well, it's complicated, and it's pretty difficult to explain that to those people. But the fact of it is, just because we're here tonight doesn't mean that what God is saying is getting in our hearts. But if it doesn't get in our hearts, we have no weapon. And we fall apart when the trouble comes, when the enemy comes in like a storm. We have no way to fight him because we can't even remember what it was we're supposed to fight with. It's not hidden. It's not something we're guarding. It's not something we've got a little sentry over the doors of our heart to make sure that nothing takes this word away from us or this word doesn't slip. Remember the sower and the seed? Some seed was fell on the hard soil and what happens? Because it wasn't used, it wasn't understood, there wasn't any mental Mm -hmm. application of this word, wasn't any pondering and thinking to get to the bottom of it so that what was said becomes faith the Bible says here comes the evil one and stow the word, snatched away the word that was put in the heart. So you have to guard your heart. That's the first thing. Second thing that we said is you have to feed your faith. The only thing you can feed your faith with is what we call faith food and that's the word of God. And I don't mean just sitting down and hearing it, I mean feeding yourself is, in, in a spiritual sense, is sitting down and reading this and thinking about it. Again, it's reading, it's pondering. It's dwelling on it. It's meditating like the cow chewing her cud. It's taking time to think about what you've heard. How is this applied in my life? Am I doing this and if I'm not, is it because I'm afraid of the consequences? Maybe so, but then I need to admit that and then deal with it. Because I really want the power that God puts in his word to be a power and the power in my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is what? It's the power of God. It's what God gives you that he will honor against your adversaries. In fact, the word dunamis, from which we get that particular word power, dynamite, one definition in some dictionary in years past was the ability to overcome resistance. And You have one who is coming against you, and the one thing he cannot overcome is the word of God when it's released. It becomes a power in your life. But you have to feed your faith that. You have to see it that way. It's not a mental exercise in religious words, and it's not some religious activity where you're just seeing how much you can memorize. That's a good thing. But it's thinking about it in terms of what it says becoming your life. This is the way I choose to live. It's not an easy choice because something is standing in the way, and I've got to deal with it. But this is what God requires and unless I do this, I can't please God. I can't go this far and say, well, I've gone longer than most folks have. I've got to go as far as he keeps showing me to go. Therefore, I have to keep pulling down strongholds and everything that's resisting God in my life that has been in here for years, it's got to go. I must overcome. And so you feed your faith. And the more you feed your faith, the stronger you get, the more you develop. And the third thing we said was you've got to be discerning. Now, I want you to go back to that. I don't want to spend all night again on this subject, but this is important. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Be discerning. Not so much about the neighbor across the street or your brother or sister across the aisle, while that's included. But how about your own self? How many people can discern themselves? You remember in 1 Corinthians 11, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, the word judge has to do with being able to make a distinction or to discern. That's what a judge in a court of law does. He makes a distinction. He has to reach a verdict. He looks at this. He looks at this. And so, To be able to discern in this hour, the Bible teaches we have to exercise our senses. We have to look at things, we have to listen to things, we watch things, we see what's going on. We're not always sure what to do about all this, but we funnel all of this into our little hiding place and we bring all these thoughts in subjection to Christ. And as we begin to exercise our senses to discern between good and evil, we begin to have this acute spiritual sense about us that we're able to see right and wrong. Now, we're not experts. What I'm talking about in my life is probably a little thing to some deep person. But I'm talking about when the Word of God becomes the standard that you judge everything by. You look at everything in light of what you've been taught by God. You begin to see things the way God says it. Now, some things are not in order. But it might be somebody that's new in the faith and hadn't been around long, so you learn to be long-suffering towards a person. That's Romans 14, which very few the faith crowd would ever touch anyway. And you begin to look at things like that. You hold yourself, however, to that fine line. As far as I'm concerned, if you're ever going to be a legalist, be with yourself. Don't give yourself room. Keep yourself under, as Paul said. I keep my body under lest at any time I preach to others I become a castaway. I want to hold myself to a fine line. I don't want to allow myself any liberties that would invite some kind of problem in my life. Like Paul said, I'm free to do this and go there and eat that, but I won't do it because of you. I don't want to offend you. We have to be discerning people. We have to be able to see what's wrong with things, like the holidays. You know, people are very passionate. Church folks are very passionate about Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus, they say, and that's what it's all hyped up to be. But it doesn't take a scholar to realize that Jesus was not born this time of year. This is not the time of year that the shepherds would be in fields. John the Baptist was born in the spring. Jesus was born six months later, making it somewhere between August, September, September, October, somewhere in there. It was still in the fall of the year. Couldn't have been this time of year. And so it became what it is because of somebody wanting it to be in a time of a pagan holiday, where they were celebrating the birth of the sun. S-U-N. Well, the church at that time celebrated the birth of the S-O-N, the Son of God, so that those who reveled in that, I guess they could be forgiven in their system of worship then. They could go get in a booth with somebody and it's it's all okay, but it was a time of travesty in religion that they made holidays like that and people worship that and people honor that and people get very passionate about Christmas. People who don't even believe in God celebrate Christmas. I don't know if Jewish people celebrate Christmas or not. I imagine some of them do. It's just not a big deal. It has very little to do with your religious convictions. It has everything to do with what is socially acceptable. Now, we ought to be able to discern that. We ought to be able to see that. We ought to be able to discern in situations where people don't live right, that that's not according to Scripture. You ought to be able to see that. It's not that we're supposed to pass judgment on them. We're supposed to discern that. We're supposed to be able to see that. I mean, there's things that we're told to avoid. You can't avoid things unless you see that it's wrong. There's things that we ought to do. There's things that you won't do unless you can discern that that's what you ought to do. It's just the way it works. And Colossians chapter 2, have you found it yet? Verse 6, as you've therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's the first thing you do, and then this has to follow. So walk ye in him. That's second. But in order for you to walk in him, this will have to be taking place. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught. You have to be willing to be taught. You have to avail yourself to teaching. Whether there's a thousand other things to do or not, or whether you've already heard it or not, there's always that special night when you've heard something the fifth time that God says something the first time you've never heard before. And he said, you rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught and abounding therein with thanksgiving. That's the kind of people we are. We have been taught, and the effect of the teaching is that we're getting our roots mingled with Christ, We're beginning to be certain about what we believe and comfortable with this life. And we're beginning to be thankful and gracious people. But now here's the danger. The next verse is beware, lest any man spoil you. Remember this one translation we read, it said, be careful not to let anyone rob you of this faith through a shallow and misleading philosophy. Now, philosophy is not a bad word. In fact, studying philosophy in a different sense, like in higher learning institutions, is probably a good thing. But the word philosophy comes from two words. Philos, phylos, it means love. And sophia, which means wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. To acquire wisdom is a good thing. Now, to love the wisdom that makes you exalt yourself is not a good thing self-man-made wisdom or sitting around talking about who's the smartest is not a good thing. And there are enough wicked and evil men in the church, as the Bible calls them, corrupt leaders in the church who know that to teach the Bible as the Bible says is not something that very many people are interested in. And if you want people to be interested in your Bible study in the world, I don't mean in, in our circles, but If you want people to really gravitate to what you're saying, you gotta have an angle, you gotta have a charismatic presentation or you've gotta change a few things that people dread to hear into something that's not exactly what they thought it was. So that when they leave, they're just enjoyed what you said and they're not condemned anymore because they're sinning, you know, it'll be all right. They'll make it, they'll be all right. And consequently, these people begin to lose the faith in God. If they ever had it, they begin to lose their faith in God because it's no longer based on the Word. It's based on what some man taught them. Another version says, See to it then that no one enslaves you by means of the worthless deceit of human wisdom, which comes from the teaching handed down by human beings and from the ruling spirits of the universe and not from Christ. How many of you know that behind every false teaching, there's a demon? That's right. Behind all deceptions and all misleading things is a spirit. And either the one who misled a person did it on purpose or did it in ignorance. He, did, he hadn't been enlightened yet and was only quoting somebody else. This is what happens whenever we get all excited about the Lord. I can go back 30 years now. You get all excited about the Lord, a lot of people, movements everywhere, Bible studies all over the country. If they all were a light bulb, it would look like a Christmas tree. (laughs) All over the place, just meetings and meetings, and people are glad-hearted and driving all night to get places and excited and driving all day to get somewhere and and generous and kind-hearted and loving people, just excited. And you know, today, today, You don't see that, and you don't. You just don't see the same thing today. I'm probably referring to more of those that are your parents or grandparents now because they were the ones that 30 years ago I'm talking about, and things have happened. Now, has somebody talked them out of their faith? Have they been disappointed that the faith that they thought they had wasn't working the way they were told it would? Or did they do things that they thought would work in a certain time and it didn't work and therefore they got discouraged or disgusted, many of them gone back to the ways of the world. Those who went through deliverance. I came out of a job selling certain kind of things and I know there were spirits in that and I wanna go through deliverance. And they go through deliverance and they went through deliverance from old dead traditional churches and all of the dead letter that they had to put up with. They came and they went through deliverance because they got free. I'm like a tree, like a tree. I'm like a bird out of it. I'm free. And you know what? You look back now. You look back again. Now, I say, why do you say this every week? Because it's on my mind every week. If it happens then, it can happen to you folks the same way. And you look back at all of these folks. You say, how did it happen? I don't know but now they're back selling the same stuff they went through deliverance from. They're back at the same churches they went in deliverance from because I guess something's better than nothing. That's never been true. That has never been true. You think what's happened? There's a warning here. It didn't have to happen. Beware lest any man mislead you. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18. He says, who concerning the truth have erred, who concerning the truth have erred and overthrow the faith of some. People are not discerning. They're not listening. For the time when come, he said, well, they will not endure sound doctrine. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. It's happening as I'm talking to you right now. It doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be, but it is happening. I think there's a weariness. I thought about teaching on that seminar, but I've taught it twice in the last 15 years, so I... Everybody's probably used to it, but now I think of how weary, spiritually weary, spiritually weary people seem to be. It's just like they wish something new or something exciting would come along and spruce things up. It's just some kind of a new something that would get us all fired up again. And people are trying that. And it works for what, six months? And then it's like a downer, you're down again and always something would happen. And I'll tell you what, I have never found in all my life and I'm just one person, and I don't know if, I'm dumb or in a coal bucket, but I'm one person in this world that has never grown weary of hearing the word of God. I have never grown weary of studying it, I've never grown weary of teaching the same thing again. I used to travel so much. I'd travel so many places and put sticks in my eyes, keep my eyes open, coming home at night. Having preached the same thing maybe at the last two meetings in a row, enjoyed the first time as much as the last time. They didn't, but I did. Because it is something that has never gotten old. The Word of God has never become stale. Listen to me. Every time God gives the word, he puts a freshness to it to those who receive it. Even if you've already heard it and you remember the effect that had on you back in 64. Man, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the crystal shore very deeply stained within, seeking to rise, and then you go through that and you think, boy, that day. You think I'll ever get tired of talking about June 30th, 1968? I need a fresh crowd to tell that to. June 30th, 1968, I've never gotten tired of it. Man, that was where it all started, and you are keeping it going, because this is what I do. Twice a week, I get to do this. I think, praise God. It's never gotten old. I look at people, sometimes I think, I'm not talking about any particular person, I've been here a long time, I've looked at people through the years. It looked like they were just weary and worn out. Just weary and worn out. Dull, indifferent, and I go sit down sometime after it's over and I think, I have killed half of them tonight. They're just dying, they're sitting there going. I just lifted one arm and hung it up somewhere on the cross, and next week I'll probably get the other one up there and get it this far. And they're dying. That's not true with you, is it? Tell somebody it's not true with me. Tell them. All right, good. Praise God. Number four tonight, and I'm halfway through. Number four is you must contend for the faith. If you want to keep it, you're going to have to contend for it. Last time, number one was guard your heart, feed your faith, be discerning. if you want to keep your faith, you're going to have to contend for it. Contend earnestly. In Jude chapter one and verse three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of our common salvation, translations are interesting here. But brethren, when I started out writing to you, I was going to write about our common salvation. However due to some things that are going on there, and you read the rest of this chapter, you know what I'm talking about. It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto all the saints. This message means nothing to people who see that they can't lose it, and if they did, it doesn't count in being saved. But he said, you must earnestly contend for it. Well, I thought I had it. You do have it. This message tonight is about keeping it. Somebody wants to take it. Some will depart from the faith, won't they? So it can go, and if you're not paying attention, it can go from you, and then one day you're sitting there not knowing whether you can believe it or not, you're afraid of the circumstances, you're afraid of what the phone's gonna say when it rings, you're living terrified of this, you're afraid you're gonna die, you're afraid you're gonna be sick, you're afraid your kids aren't gonna come to the Lord, you're afraid you're afraid you and, and there was a time in your life you would have rebuked all of it. And now we sit around, and not only are we thinking about it, but you get on your electronic gadget and you start talking about it. I'm amazed at how many people in a day talk about negative stuff all day long. Who said, she said, they went, he said, and they went. And over there are, I mean, all day long. No wonder it's hard to believe God. No wonder it's hard to believe God. But he said we must contend for the faith, earnestly contend. Let me read for you one of these translations. One of these came from a Greek professor, Mr. Woost. He was one of Brother Fryer's Greek teachers when he was at Moody. And he translated that verse like this. Not that it's right, this is simply his translation. Of this, just button in on halfway through the sentence. Beseeching you to contend with intensity and determination for the faith, once for all entrusted to, into the safekeeping of the saints, to contend with intensity and determination. Now, it has to mean a whole lot to you to do it like that. You suppose faith is ever called precious? Twice it's referred to as precious in the Bible. That is something of great value, highly esteemed, honorable, something that he gave you that is so important that unless you use it, you can't even please God, nor get a prayer answered. And who knows what else James 1.8 says or means. Receive nothing from the Lord. It is a treasure. The Williams translation says, urge you to carry on a vigorous defense of the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. Today's Christian New Testament says to fight in defense of the faith that has once for all been entrusted to the saints. So we see in these words a degree of violence, of effort. You can see somewhat of a struggle. The English word, I looked up the English word, contend, and it means to strive. We're familiar with that, to strive, to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend and preserve. It's like we're a bunch of warriors. That we're down here in a hostile area. The world lies in darkness. The prince of power of the air, he's everywhere. We can't escape that. This is a hostile environment the world is for Christians. Nothing about the world is pleasing to God. We're the only light that's in the world. When we're taken out of the way, the world will be full of darkness and judgment comes hard and heavy. But while we're here, we're lights. We're the only hope that a lot of people will have because we're the carriers of the word of God. So here we are on this earth in this time with a treasure in our hearts that we must see is so important for us to keep it that we have to guard it and anything that comes against it, we must resist it in earnest. I don't mean we have to be ugly. We're going to be embarrassed. People are going to point us out for persecution and laugh at us. Anybody that believe in not having Christmas or not even taking an aspirin or something, what's wrong with those people? I know what people will say. I went through this when I was a basketball coach. I know what a community says about the change in your life, and they don't like it. They can't deny that a change has taken place and that it's a good thing if they go to church, that you live like that. They just don't want to see it because it reminds them of their sins. And it's easy to court human favor and give up your convictions so that people will accept you again. It's easy to do. If you think you're important in the community, then you'll give up a lot of things that God says because your importance in the community is more than price you pay. Didn't the Pharisees go through that? They came to Jesus by night for fear of the Jews. Of course they did. I mean, there's something about living His way. We have to be willing to fight. You gotta be willing to fight. The devil wants to rob you of your faith, he does. He doesn't want you to stand your ground and he wants to humiliate you. For people to whisper and get all wrong about you, distort everything about you, because some people get so embarrassed they give it up. Remember the sower and the seed? One guy received it immediately with joy received the word. And by and by, said, when persecution came because of the word, he was offended. Remember that? When he was offended, he withdrew. I've seen that happen, and so have you. It's just that when you begin to count the cost of what you really want in life, people want the flavor of God in their life because it makes you socially good, and people like that. But you can't have both. You'll either go one way or you'll go the other way. It doesn't mean that we go through the town and everybody hates us and stares at us. We're supposed to have a good report of those without. Our word is to be good. We do pay our bills. We are honorable husbands and fathers. We do try to discipline our children, and we do try to be helpful and just be a good citizen. We're only sojourners and pilgrims here, but we have an obligation as Christians to live a Christ-centered life. And people don't like that. So they do want you to give it up. And you have to be willing to say, I would die before I'd give up my faith because you read in the annals of history, how many died because of their faith. They would not recant their faith in God. How many have emperors and rulers put to the stake and burned at the stake because they would not say, I recant. The great people who gave us so much of this book, the ones who first put it into print, and those who labored hours to break it down into chapters, and then break it down into sentences, and then break it down into verses. All of this so we today could sit here and read it like it should be read. They died for this. They gave their lives for this. They were burned at the stake. I'm sure their reward will be great in heaven. They literally laid down their lives because they would not stop believing. They wouldn't change their beliefs in order to accommodate some ruler. They would rather die than do that, and they did. They burned them to the stake. People shook their heads, I can't believe. All they had to do was say no. They could have lived a while. Why would they just sit there and die? Well, they say the same thing, when you won't take an aspirin. Unless you do, then they don't say nothing. People just single things out. Whatever can rob you of your faith and you gotta contend for it, you gotta hold on to it. The Greek word simply means to contend earnestly. It means to fight for, or in reference to something, an intense and determined struggle to defeat the opposition. The word contend describes a kind of strain that we're under in walking in this life. The word for contend is very similar to our word, remember 1 Timothy chapter six and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. The word fight. Now, it's not the same word, but it's basically the same word. It means to strive. We wrestle. It's an effort. We read a while ago in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said, I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. That's our word. Now you put the little prefix epi in front of that word. Epi means upon. And you get the definition here that has to do with a struggle and striving. It's basically the same thing. So here's a picture. If I want to keep the faith I have, I must recognize that there is a sinister spirit and a host of spirits, an organized kingdom of dark spirits out there whose subtle and clever designs is either to defeat me or talk me out of my faith. And I look back again, and I said the last several years and how successful he was with the most exuberant people. You just be around some of these folks, and you just, wow, I wish I had what they had. They're gone. They're just gone. I've had people say to me, now, in tape land, please don't take this wrong if you're listening. I've had people say, well, praise God, he's kept the faith that shouldn't we all Do you think we or I have kept the faith because we're so superior in some way? Ask my wife how superior I am. I'm no different than you are, like Elijah. He was a man of like passions as we are. He was a man, just a person. But he made a choice, and he wouldn't give it up. He chose to believe. He chose to do it God's way, and he would not change. If I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not going to do that. If I shouldn't go there, I will not go there. I want to, and I want to, but I won't do it. And the enticements and the allurements of the devil, look what you could have. Look where you would be. Look what you would have if if you just, oh, look. A preacher I knew years ago, he's dead now. I wouldn't mention his name, but who would care? his tendons began falling off. And I said to him, because I thought he'd say, that's right, I I thought he would say it that way. I said, well, all you have to do is just ease up a little bit and quit preaching on certain things. He said, you know, that's right, that's right. I said, no, 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 no. And he did ease up. And I'll tell you, when the devil comes in like a flood, I heard from the mouth of somebody who knew it, a man got mixed up in wife-swapping. I'm talking about a minister. And it wasn't long after this that, you know, here comes the curse and then here comes the casket. Because the casket's not far from the curse. I think of all those people, I remember how many times I spoke there. And how many times I saw some genuine, heartfelt simplicity in this man. And then he began to do well, made some money, began to get a little fancy. Next thing you know, he's corrupted himself. He had the prophets coming in. He had the women preachers who could yell and holler. Why would you do that? You didn't used to believe it. Why would you do that? Because it brings in the people. And the people sit there. You know what they get out of that? Similar to something that he's got. Whatever the spirit is that's feeding you, you're going to pick up on it. That's why you need to be cautious about what you hear and how you hear it and knowing from whom you've heard it. That's in the Bible. You've got to fight for this. Caleb and Joshua fought for it. Three Hebrew children fought for it. The Syrophoenician woman fought for it. In Muslim countries and all over the world where Christianity is absolutely hated and despised, Christians are dying because they will not give in. They preach the gospel. They pray for God's covering, and many times he does cover them. Sometimes, like with the case of Stevens, they die, and people see how a Christian dies. He's not afraid to die. He's just not afraid to. And they see that just like Paul saw Stephen die, and he couldn't get over that. Man, they believe so much, so well, they're joyfully believing what they believe. They have no regrets. They're contending because there's this thing, I will not give up my faith when the Bible speaks of contending for, the faith, we're talking about the faith is the way that God has given us to live. The faith is the way that God shows us how we're supposed to live. It's the way that God approves of and a way that God rewards. How many of you know that he that comes to God must believe that he is and? That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the way it works. We see it, God blesses us, we lay hold of it, this is the way. And the faith he gives us is precious, first Peter two, 1 Peter 2:1. It is precious, or 1, 1, it's a like precious faith. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. How precious is faith? Turn to 1 Peter 1. I want you to see this. I know you've heard it. I hope you've heard it. If you haven't, praise God you get to. You get to hallelujah. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise the Lord. Woo wee. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Who are kept. Who are kept. What does kept mean? Well, kept means kept. We're kept. We are kept by the power of God. We're kept. God has something to do with your well-doing. When you're doing well, God has something to do with it. It's by his power that you are kept. But one way that he does this, what causes God to keep any of us? Verse 5. Would you look at it again? I know I'm handsome and all that. You want to just stare. But look at verse 5 for a minute. Who are kept by the power of God Through what? Whose faith? The preacher's faith. No, not yours, the preacher's. No, it's your faith. Just because I'm kept doesn't mean you're kept. Y'all better say amen. I'm going to get an amen before I get out of here. Just because I'm kept doesn't mean you're kept. Just because he keeps me doesn't mean he'll keep you. What makes him keep either one of us? Say it. Turn to somebody beside us and say, it's faith. Just say it like that. It's faith. That's right. Now we're all informed. Amen. It's faith. And think of it. On the basis of faith, God is willing to keep you. Your foot doesn't slip. The head doesn't fall down when the enemy comes lurking. You're alerted. You draw your sword. God honors that sword because you hid it in your heart. And when you swing that sword and you speak that word, it is God who backs it. And you're kept. You're kept by the power of God through faith. Look at verse 7. Talking about faith. At the trial of your faith, which is more what? More precious than gold. What's more precious than gold? Your faith. What's verse 9 say? Receiving the end of your faith what? Boy, read 1 Peter 1. What a marvelous nine verses. We are kept by the power of faith. When our faith is tried, it said our faith is more precious than gold. That's why God is refining it. And at the end in verse 9, we receive the end of our faith. There's never a time we don't need it. There's never a time it is not necessary. Because at the end of your life, he that endures to the end shall be saved. And you can't endure without faith. This is what this whole thing about faith is all about. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been what? Assured Assured of. Maybe that's, maybe, 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 maybe that's a problem. We've heard it, we're just not convinced of it. We've heard it, we're just not real sure that it'll work for us. See, the word assured is our word for faith. The word for faith is P-I-S-T-I-S. This word is P-I-S-T-O-O. It's a cognate form of the same thing, but it simply means the same thing. Faith is to accept as true what God says in his word, You have to do the same thing when you hear the word, or you don't have faith yet. Continue in the things, live according to the things which you have heard and have become convinced of. Things that the ink off the paper has jumped onto the fleshly tables of your heart, and you become, as one man says, you become established. You become established and you become steadfast because you believe. If you've ever believed through a couple of dark nights and a couple of really difficult trials, chances are you'll never let go of that. You'll contend for that with all of your heart because if you don't contend and without this assurance, without this, what he said there in 2 Timothy 3, if you're not assured, then your faith won't work. I know it's hard to tell people that whenever something's falling apart, something is falling apart and the world's dark and they don't understand. You know, it's like a little story, you know, it's snowing outside, there's ice in the driveway, the car won't start. And my wife is going to have a baby. You know, when you don't want all of that, it just seemed like there's no solution. And you get that way, instead of turning to God and saying, oh, God, and crying out to God, or without going back to his word and saying, Lord, obviously, I didn't get it. Obviously, I haven't gotten it yet. Because even though I know I'm supposed to believe, I have no assurance. It's just like somebody said, well, aren't you going to pray for me? And if I said, I can't. What do you mean you can't? Oh, I can mouth words. But faith is of no value unless you believe it. Isn't that true, the prayer of faith? If what you're praying you really don't expect to happen, then it's not the prayer of faith. And so you can't just pray for anything or whatever. You have to believe it in your heart first. So you go back and you study and you look at that. As David did at Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30, you begin to encourage yourself in the Lord. I have failed, I have fallen apart here. But now God says, continue the things you've heard and become convinced of. You just begin to meditate on this word and ponder the word. Oh, but I'm so busy, you better unhook busy until busy, You get out of the house for a day or two. Because this is a divine wrestling match here between you and whatever's gonna happen in your life. And that's far more important than your little busy day is. So you begin to wrestle. Wrestle with the Lord if you have to. Admit your shortcomings. Confess your faults. Get rid of all this trash in your life that you're harboring and you don't want anybody to know about. This secret place in your heart, God knows what's in there. God knows the secrets. Psalm 44, God knows the secrets of your heart. Nothing's hidden from God. The little things in your little dwelling place that are precious to you but that are hindrance to your faith. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's Eating, shopping, maybe it's gossip. There are things in there that are hindrances. You've got to get rid of them. You can't fight the good fight of faith. You can't contend for the faith as long as the devil's got the upper hand. You've got to deal with it. Now, as I come to a close tonight, I want to finish by saying this. Contending for the faith is contending in two ways. One, you contend to get it, and that was the first lesson. Remember the first lesson, Lord, I want to have faith? And it's influence and conviction and response. You've got to go where faith is taught. Well, where is it taught? At church? Wish I could say any church you go to will teach you what faith is. But I would be lying to you because I don't believe that. I wish it were true. Then it wouldn't matter. The closest one to where you live would be all right. I got one on the corner for me. But it doesn't work like that. Umpteen thousands of ministers and people have made their minds up about what they're gonna believe and that is what they're gonna preach. And people assemble around with their itching ears, things they like to hear, the way they like to hear it, and the surroundings that they like to hear it in and they will not change that, they will not give that up. They cannot. They just can't give it up. They're bound. They need deliverance, but they're never going to get it because they won't see the truth. They can't turn their eyes away from all of that stuff. You've got to fight to get faith. Look how many people miss church. I'm not saying you do, but if it does refer to you, look how many people miss church for the reasons that they give. Well, I have had a long day and I wasn't feeling good. I'm sure many times all of us have come here we didn't feel good. I've been to church at least once in my life. I didn't feel good. I think. I used to tell Bonnie, teasing all the time. Sunday morning, I'd be real sleepy because I was up late. And she says, it's time to get up. And I said, I'm not going this morning. I'm just sleeping. And, of course, she was dark that whatever she, I won't tell you about that, but I had to get up. There's so many things out there. Your children don't want to go. And you're such a child-centered person that you let yourself be ruled by that. Well, you know, I don't want to make them go because if you make them go, they might not want to. And so you give in to that. Overtime. time, nothing wrong with making money whenever you can. That's all right. But it shouldn't be consistent on the night that we have church because one thing in the Bible is spoken of is more precious than gold. And that's your faith. Faith comes one way by hearing and hearing by the word. That's how you get it, and you'll have to fight to get that. You'll have to fight the nights that you go when you worked hard all day, and I know because I've seen it happen, and you're tired and you're sleepy. And you're thinking, Brother Hamilton, you've got about five minutes and I'm gone. <laughs> I know. One Wednesday night back when you hear somebody had a visiting speaker here, and I'm sitting where you're sitting, and he hadn't been going in 20 minutes, and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? I shouldn't be sleepy well I know that sometimes you just worked hard all day and I know sometimes the enemy does that and kids go to playing beside you and the parents don't seem to mind that they're playing and making noise and throwing paper on the floor and gossiping and talking they don't seem to mind and that's distracting and but as I said last week you pray for you get here you pray for yourself and your needs you pray for the minister you pray for circumstances and things that the devil's not going to rob you anymore of hearing the word and so you pray like that because I've got to have the word. You've got to fight to get it. You've got to go where it is and you've got to fight to get it. And remember, if you get it, it came from Christ. It's a gift. And the second thing is you not only have to go where it is to get it, but you're going to have to fight to keep it. That's what we're talking about tonight. So you're going to have to fight to keep it. How the devil hates it. With all these distractions and schedules that we have, and all the opposition of our mind from years past, well, if that's true, then why? Well, how could that be so? Well, if God heals everybody, then why are so many people not healed? Well, if prosperity or success was that prominent, then why are so many people not successful? Thoughts in your mind, those things you've got to fight through that. You've got to tell yourself it is all based on faith. Not everybody's believing the way God requires them to believe to get these things. They think by going to church they qualify as believers. doesn't work like that. you got to believe. you got to extend yourself. you got to put your hand on the plow. you got to keep it there and be unwilling to undo your fingers from it no matter what, even with your own life. I think now I'm pretty sure it's still in the Bible. And in Luke 14, I'm sure it's still in the Bible. It's probably still down in verse maybe 26 or something down in there. Any man, he said, come to me and hate not his mother and his father and then family and things and then and his own life also. Listen, you've got to put something above everything that's precious to you in this world. Something has to be more than that, and that's Jesus. And the one thing that Jesus says qualifies you as his disciple is faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And Hebrews 11, the Bible says, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. How can that be? Moses could see him who was invisible. And on the basis of that, there was not enough pharaohs, there was not enough desert time to turn him away from that. He was willing to contend, and he did he did contend. I know that people have had unanswered prayers. There's been divorce. The money never came in. Debt was overwhelming. All the other threats of this world begin to come in and threaten your livelihood and or you failed. You missed God. You gave in, you gave up on the faith, and you turned away. Your heart's broken. You didn't turn away and well nobody's perfect. I mean A lot of people, when they fail and they didn't want to, and they weep over it because that's not what they wanted to do. Their heart's broken because they didn't do well. These are the ones that, when they say, Lord, help my unbelief, he will. He will. We're growing. The race isn't over yet. It hasn't finished. We're not there yet. We're still in the struggle. When the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope, with despair, and the process is long, and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that he is slapping all over you. (laughs) You can be sure that his hand is on you. You know why? Because tonight in the Godhead, where the Godhead is, there's also a human experience. The one who is our God has in all points been tempted like you and I are. He knows how you feel tonight. Even though you've messed up, he knows how you feel. He has not abandoned you, and he offers his hand to you. Turn around. Come here. Confess your fault. Repent of your sins, and let me restore you. Isn't that better? Better than quitting, isn't it? I think as I look back, I'm almost sure a lot of people were so guilty and so condemned because of mistakes that they made, they just figured they weren't good enough, they never would be good enough, or people were whispering it that way. They quit. What a tragedy. What a trail of tragedy. And yet we would look at everybody who messes up, me or you, anybody, who's glad about that? Like a lady said the other day, I was buying Bonnie some staples for her staple gun and and I had the wrong box and I was gonna take this wrong box back into where I got and the, the lady said I'll take it I'll do it. So I handed her the box when I did it just fell apart and all them staples went all over the floor and I said Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was gonna do that. I mean, I didn't do it like that <laughs> I just handed it to her and they went all over the floor. I said, oh, I am really sorry She said, oh, that's all right. I said, well, it's not all right If it was I go get another box She got to laugh and she said, I never thought of it that way. But it's true. If it's all right, let's do another box when you get done with that one. It's all right, isn't it? Isn't it all right? Let's go. Hey, I'll go get some more. I'll get a whole bunch up. Are you done with that one? Here, here's another one. Do that. That's good. That's good. Wait a minute. You done? All right. Let's do another one. Well, it's not all right. It's not all right. It's not all right to fail. It's not all right to mess up. It's not all right to curl up in a fetal position and whine. It's not all right. What is all right is the fact that a gracious God is willing to come where you are and offer you whatever it takes to get you going. But you gotta fight. You can't just say, I'm just a poor little weak little thing. Well, you are poor and you are weak. But don't boast of that. If I wasn't weak, I wouldn't need strength. If I didn't recognize how inept I was, I wouldn't need his strength. But I recognize I'm a messer-upper, grand. I'm a sum laude messer-upper. But God can redeem the likes of me out of the ash heap of failure. He can do it for all of us. All of us. But you gotta fight. You've got to be willing to fight. Let me tell you in closing what an overcomer is. An overcomer are those who successfully resist and conquer adversity. That's what overcomers are. They successfully resist and conquer adversity. God forbid that anybody in this room ever settle for mediocrity in the Christian life. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You want to triumph daily in Christ. You want to run and finish the race and get the prize. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness, mercy, grace, everything that as you add it up, it translates into victory, peace and joy in your kingdom. It is true, Lord, that we who are here tonight are not gifted with greatness in this world. We're probably more the uncomely parts of this world, and yet you have called us like you did the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. 400 years without education, unlearned people, and by great signs and wonders, you brought nobodies out of some place and made somebody out of them. In like manner, you've drug us out of the miry clay of this world. You've set our weak feet upon a rock, to make us strong and how very limp we often get and how frail we sometimes act and yet we can be strong Lord we do want to keep our faith we do want the enemy to know that when he comes around he's got to fight that we're not going to give up and quit we're going to spend a whole morning if necessary fighting this good fight of faith until the enemy leaves because we're overcomers I ask you to bless the weakest one in this room tonight, the one that's closest to quitting, the one that's most frail and likely to give up without your help. I ask you to minister to that one first and then work your way up through this whole church, Lord, until there's not a weak one in a bunch, till we're all strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When our faith is intact, And the word is living and abiding in our hearts. And we're triumphing daily in Christ. Help us to do that. You can, and we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen.